And welcome back to Boom Talks for your Wednesday morning. Now, I have with me one of, I think, the best journalists in WA, and he's a close friend of mine, Joe Spagnolo. Welcome to the show. Max, uh, flattery will get you everywhere, Max. That's a, a very nice intro, except, um, you know, you've got to get the spell, you've got to get the pronunciation right of my surname, Spagnolo. You know, but, you know, you know, apart from that, you did well. I, I didn't mean to do that. I'm so sorry. No, 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 no. That's just very funny. Not to eight out of ten people get my surname wrong. So no. How you? How have uh, How have you been? The show's going well. Oh, it's going very well. It's my first show, so it's been good. Now, obviously, you being a journalist, you would have covered the Voice in WA here and its implications. Uh, why did the Voice fail in WA? And if so, what were some factors that led to it failing? Well, I did. Um. I did a bit of a ring around on Saturday, you know, in my coverage for the Sunday Times. Mm. Um, basically, I, I went to various people to get an idea, if you like. Now, uh, the week before the referendum, uh, Tony Abbott had been in Perth, and uh, what he said was that the ill-fated um, Aboriginal Cultural Heritage Act of 2021, which, of course, the Cook government uh, introduced and the regulations came into play on July 1, um, that was an absolute debacle. Mm. And what happened was, um, in fact, it was that bad that the government had to end up ripping it up five or six weeks later and revert back to the old Act because, in summary, what the new Act did was it didn't just protect, you know, Aboriginal artefacts, you know, from mining, let's say. Because it all, um, it all came out of the back of Duke and Gorge, wasn't it, all it of this? It came on the back of that, and the, the, the intent, if you like, the intent of the new act had basically been to, um, you know, to, to put more protections in. But what it did was that it also then actually affected any landowners with, property, with properties over 1,100 square metres, which, which isn't a lot. As in, if you go into the hills in Perth, most people have got big properties, right? Mm, so yeah. it meant that basically the new regulations affected farmers, they affected, you know, mums and dads with big properties. So um, Tony Abbott claimed that basically not only had West Australians been put off uh, um, more, you know, uh, the voice because of what happened in WA, but he said that basically he felt that the rest of Australia, when they looked at what happened in WA, uh, many people were put off. But look, when I rang around... The reasons that were put to me, and I went to some fairly eminent people, were the uh, in WA the Cultural Heritage Act had had scared people off. Um, there was also claims that you know nationally, um, the Voice, Albanese, and the Yes campaign had not been able to articulate properly what a Voice meant and its implications. Um, that the campaign had run for too long. And another factor which, in fact, former Premier uh, Colin Barnett mentioned to me, which I reported, was that um, when there was claims from people on the Yes campaign that anyone who opposed the voice was racist, that that just turned people off. Because, of course, as Colin Barnett said, and in fact, I also spoke to Alana McKinnon, a former Labor minister, they both said, well, people had legitimate questions. I mean, Mm. Colin Barnett... And Alana McKinnon both voted yes. But what they said was people had a right to ask questions. They had, a, they had legitimate questions. 
and that doesn't necessarily mean you're racist. So I think it was a number of factors, Max. Mm. Now, I read your column every Sunday, as I think, as you've told me about, only five people in Perth does read your column. Well, my, 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 my mother reads it. <coughs> you know, particularly you read it. Mm. Uh, you know, John, my partner reads it. That's three. And, of course, I read it again over and over again on a Sunday morning. So we're up to about four or five. So we're getting close. Now, you, the title of your column was Liberals Need to Show Their Hand. What does that yeah. mean and how come? Is this going to be... Are we going to start seeing the rise of them again here in WA after The Voice or not? Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question, Max, because what we're seeing uh, already, I mean, hours, if you like, um, mm. after The Voice, is that both political parties and Anthony Albanese and Peter Dutton, who, of course, is a federal Liberal leader, what they're both starting to think about is the obvious question. What political ramifications does The Voice have for the next election? Now, the next election is scheduled for May of 2025, Max. Mm. That's the latest he can go. And also, However, don't we have a state one in March of that year as and well? We have a, and, we have a, exactly, and we have a state election in March, because in WA we have fixed terms and a fixed state. So in March of 2025, there will be another election. The difference between federal and state politics is that we have four-year terms in WA and three-year terms federally. So mm. both parties... And it's not just state, but federal, are starting to think of the political ramifications. Now, what I did in my column was I basically turned my thoughts to what I knew would happen this week, which is the big ramifications of the voice. And in WA, the WA Liberal Party, who you know was decimated at the last election, they've only got two mm. out of 59 seats in the Assembly, they're now starting to recruit. And if I can if I can compare it to the rebuild of a footage side like the Eagles, they're starting to rebuild and they're trying to reach out to all sorts of people to try and get some quality candidates. And what I tried to point out in the column was that um, recruiting, if you like, or pre-selection, candidates will have to start nominating in about December this year. Mm. And by the end of January next year... Um, that's when actually the party will start to do pre-selection. So, in other words, anyone who's thinking of running for the WA Liberal Party will have to um, to start seriously thinking about it soon. Does this also apply to the Liberal Party federally or not, do you think? Well, yeah, no, it does. <clears throat> what, hap- what happens is, basically, the WA Liberal Party um, hierarchy, if you like, and mm. I'm talking people like the, um, you know, the state president, um, I'm talking people like the state director, yeah. you know, um, the executive of the Liberal Party, uh, state council. Um, basically, what they do is they go through a process whereby you look at the, um, the pre-selections, and you normally do the state election first. Mm. And what they'll do, is, what they'll do is the federal election after that. So, in 2024 next year, you'll find that basically it'll be full-on pre-selecting, not just state election, but um, federally. Now, federally, we have 15 seats in WA. Yeah. Uh, in, the, in the Assembly of the WA Parliament, we have 59 seats. And then you've got the upper house, of course, as well. Now, what's interesting about the Liberal Party is that um, because it was felt that the last couple of elections, some of the candidates have been pretty ordinary, uh, they've tried to improve their pre-selection um, procedures. 
Um, and so they're hoping that hopefully they can entice a few, uh, some better candidates. Mm. Now, in one of your articles you wrote on Sunday for the Sunday Times, you said we need to heal and we need to heal as a nation. Why do you mm. think we need to do that? I just can't. I've covered, I've been a journalist for 40 years, Max, and specifically in Perth for nearly 20, nearly half of that time in Perth, mm. uh, covering covering state and federal um, elections. I think from memory, I think I might have covered five federal elections and four state, I think, so far. But I just cannot remember in my time as a political journalist uh, ever having covered such a divisive um campaign of any sort. I, I just can't remember anything being so so poisonous. You know, I, I think I think what this referendum did is I think it pitted, you know, whites against whites, whites against blacks, blacks against blacks. It seemed to it really did seem to pit um, white and black um, you know, uh, Australians against each other. And I think I think my overriding thought when I wrote that column, which is which was by the way on Saturday night, mm. uh, once we the results, the first thing that came into my head was that, you know, somehow we, we just need to um, we just need to heal. You know, we, we need to stop fighting, we need to stop bickering. Now will that ever happen? I'm not sure. But I, I think we need to we need a period whereby, you know, we're not every single week seeing this combative type of um, you know, campaigning like that we've seen for over a year now. So I think as a nation, we, we, we just somehow need to find some sort of unity at the moment because it's been very divisive. And obviously it's going to be a long process to get there, but once we get there, we'll be better off for it, well, do you think? Well, well, I think, I mean, issues affecting our Indigenous Australians, you know, issues mm. affecting our Indigenous Australians, and I'm talking about, of course, everyone talks about the gap. Yeah, you know the gap, the gap between our indigenous Australians and our, our you know, our, our white Australians, basically. But basically, if you have a look at, you know, rates of imprisonment, uh, health outcomes for our indigenous Australians, they're nowhere. You know, it's a totally different story to, you know, to the rest of Australia. So, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that in three seconds, you know, we can all of a sudden, you know, be one big happy family, and, you know. Uh, the problems facing our Indigenous Australians are solved because they, they haven't. They haven't. No one's been able to solve those problems. Uh, Anthony Albanese was convinced that a voice to Parliament would help address that. Obviously, given the results on Saturday night, uh, the majority of Australians didn't believe that a voice, which was in effect uh, an advisory to Parliament, would would really fix anything. Mm. So I think. When I'm, you know, so when I'm talking about healing, I, I suppose I'm talking about attitude. Um, I'm not suggesting that we're going to find solutions to these problems in three seconds. Mm. Now, I'll get back to Albanese because there's some interesting stuff happening there. But just quickly back onto the state. Obviously, we all know the Aboriginal Heritage Act was introduced and then <coughs> six weeks later it was torn up. Do you think they should have introduced that later? say, maybe even now after The Voice, or do you think that it wouldn't have been possible for Roger Cook and his government? Uh, it was very difficult because the actual legislation was passed late in December 2021. So it would have been difficult to actually, um, you know, put it back, if you like. I mean, as it was, 
you know, the legislation was passed in 2021 and the actual laws, if you like, or the regulations became, came into effect in July of, uh, of this year, right? Mm. So even though, look, you might argue and say, well, you know, maybe they should have just held back introducing the regulations to after the referendum. And, but at the end of the day, um, you know, I, I just think that it, in its complete naivety, the WA Labor government just did not think that this act was going to cause the mayhem that it did. I just think that it was in its complete naivety. They just didn't think so. So, um, look, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing, but I think if you're going to be pragmatic about it, Max, you know, the legislation went through in December 2021, as it was. Uh, the actual regulations didn't come into effect until what was it 12 I think it was it was yeah it was July this year and it was I think it was for six weeks basically yeah yeah well it came they came in on July and then you know um they had to be ripped up five or six weeks later but yeah look I'm not sure that would have been possible to to, to put to put back the timings anyway Mm. now one of your colleagues at the Sunday Times talked about the sort of blame game that we're, that's now sort of happening for the referendum. Do you think this is the right thing to do to start blaming people, or do you think we should just come together and say work, work out what went well and what didn't work out? Oh, look, I, I think people are sick. Of, that's what I'm saying, Max. I think people are sick of the argument. So, mm. you know, sure. I mean, there's there's a lot of political point scoring that can be done right now. I mean, the Liberals, uh, you know, can get there and point the finger at, you know, at Albanese and the Federal Labor Government. Um, the, the Federal Labor Government, Albanese is pointing the finger at Dutton, saying, well, you know, if the Liberal Party had supported uh, us, uh, you know, if we'd gone to this referendum as one, um, it wouldn't have been a, a, as big a problem as it was. So, but I think, I think overall, I think Australia is sick of the bickering. So... Yeah. Um, no, I don't think I don't think I don't think that finger pointing is going to is going to you know benefit anyone at the moment, Max. Mm. Well, hope, uh, we're just going to take a quick break here, Joe. Hopefully, you can stick around for a little bit longer. I've just got a couple of more questions, and we'll be right back after this. No, no problems at all. Great. Welcome back. Now I'm still with Joe Spagnolo of the Sunday Times. Hopefully, I pronounced that one right, Joe. Um, Now, just moving on, Anthony Albanese recently came out and said that if the voice was going to fail, that he wasn't, he was going to accept the result and move on. Do you think he is now strategizing his next moves per se or not? I think think Albanese has been so burnt through this process that there's no way, there's no way will there be enough of another referendum in my belief, uh, while he's Prime Minister. Mm. And if you have a look at it, you know, Peggy Dutton was talking about perhaps another referendum uh, which would, you know, still try to achieve Indigenous recognition in our constitution. I think he's kind of walking away from that as well. I think I think everyone knows and agrees that basically, um, you know, um, I, I don't think the Australian public would want another referendum. So at the end of the day, then you kind of get back and you say to yourself, all right, well, if, we, if we've given up on on constitutional recognition, then, then what's the next step? Mm. And I think the next step is what we talked about earlier, Max, in that there has to be perhaps at a government level, not just federally, but state, 
um, you know, maybe local government and they go grassroots community. I, I think I think we just have to do it better. I think we have to find a much better way of uh, of being able to improve uh, the lives of our indigenous population. I mean, you know, you you know, Banksia Hill, you know, has been talked about a lot, and that's a kids, um, you know jail basically a detention centre we talk about this unit 18 at Casuarina mm. um, you know, uh, you, know, you, you, know you, you have a look at the adult prisons and other prisons look at the po- look at the percentage of Aboriginal people in our prisons you look at basically health outcomes for our Indigenous population um, you know I, I think you'll find that the life expectancy of our Indigenous Australians is far less than than, than, than others. So, you know, there, there's a lot to be done, but I, I think it'll go back to uh, grassroots, um, you know, local government, state. I don't think you'll find there will not be another referendum, no. Hmm. Now, also at the same time of Albanese, our Prime Minister, saying that he won't do anything else and but accept the result of the referendum, Roger Cook, our Premier, said that he won't be doing a state's version of the voice to parliament. Do you think that's the right move by Roger Cook or do you think he should start maybe thinking about it? Well, I suppose if you're Roger Cook right now, you'd be thinking to yourself, well, the nation has just rejected. And not just rejected a little bit. You know, we're talking above 60% mm. of the on average of the population said no. So if you were Roger Cook right now, you'd be saying to yourself, well, how much of an appetite is that? a WA voice, and more importantly, what would it actually achieve, Max? So, you know, if I was Roger Cook, I probably would be saying the same thing, that um, right now, it's certainly not the right time to be talking about a WA voice. And I know South Australia's gone down that road, but I'm, I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure what, what, what outcomes that would have. So mm. um, I can understand fully, given the fact of such rejection for a voice at a federal level, can understand why Roger Cook probably wouldn't want to go down that road. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's obviously, as you said, South Australia has done that, but that's because yeah. they they wanted to try and see if the system worked, wasn't it? Or yeah. I mean, who knows? Yeah, well, yeah I'm not too, I'm, look. I'm not too sure of, of, of the principles, if you like, or the reasoning behind the SA. I can only I can only tell you that I think our former premier Mark McGowan has spoken of possibly. A WA voice, but only uh, if the rend- if the referendum was successful. Which obviously, yeah, referendum, mm. referendum hasn't been successful. So I don't, again, I, I don't think you can criticise Roger Cook too much at the moment. No. Mm. Now I started seeing articles just hours after the results of the referendum came out, saying that Anthony Albanese should resign as prime minister. Do you think that's taking it too far, or do you think that? He still has to hold on for another eighteen months or so before the next election, and then he might get look, he, ousted. Yeah. Um, look, he's been wounded through this process. There's, there is little doubt. Now, Anthony Albanese is saying that he it was his duty, if you like, and he says he still believes it was the right thing to to bring this before the Australian public and get them to vote on it. Mm. Now, the issue will be that. Um, you know, from here on end, I can tell you that certainly once we get past Christmas and once we begin January 1 of 2024, we're in a pre-election year. So, as I said, Federal Labor, Anthony Albanese, Federal Liberal Party, Peter Dutton, they'll start to read the, the play, if you like. They start getting the, the election playbooks out. Yeah, 
now let, let's say let's say from here on in, um, Anthony Albanese's popularity starts to really dip. Let's say the performance of the Australian Labor government uh, is something that the Australian public is saying quite clearly is not good enough. Then of course, you know, everyone wants. No one wants to be a one-term government. Mm. Uh, I think Anthony Albanese only has a two-seat majority government. So um, there Would... will be there will be a lot of soul searching. There will be a lot of lot of talking behind the scenes. There will be a lot of strategizing. And yes, Anthony Albanese and Peter Dutton will certainly. Uh, you know, look back and say, all right, we've got an election in, you know, 17 short months, and I'm talking about once you hit January 1 next year. Mm. Um, you know, how are we placed? And, you know, um, dare I say it, Labor and the Liberal parties federally uh, have um, have a tradition of dumping their leaders when it looks like they're not going to win elections. Now, I'm not saying that Federal Labor will dump Anthony Albanese, but it has happened. It happened to Kevin Rudd, it happened to Julia Gillard, it happened to Malcolm Turnbull. Um, mm. So, yeah, no, interesting times. Yeah, that's for sure. And also, it seems that, you know, Albanese has got a lot to contend with, with not only now The Voice, but he also promised in the last election that if he gets re-elected, he will start, he'll do another referendum for... Australia becoming a republic. Do you think that's a good idea, seeing what the results off the back of the voice referendum is, or not? No, and no, Max, I think he's, again, I think he's been so burnt through this process, I can't see. I think I think Anthony Albanese really, really does need to attack, or seriously attack, the number one issue in Australia, which is concerning many, many, many families, is cost of living, mm. and how, you know, whether it's rental properties, or whether it's a buying a property uh, here in WA there's hardly any rentals available um, and if you're looking to buy a home uh, especially if you're a young person you know it's a, it's a, it's a steep mountain to climb not only do you have to come up with a decent deposit uh, you've got to pay stamp duty you other other things you're competing not just against first home or one or you know first home buyers but you're competing against people who are buying investment property so I, I would think um, and I know, and I know that the Liberal Party has already started saying this. I would think that Albanese will have to address other issues, you know, which Australians see as rightly important, like cost of living, um, mm. you know. And, and so I think you might find that there's big concentration on, um, on on those sort of issues next year. And also, just quickly referring to what you said about Anthony Albanese's two-seat majority, that came from Western Australia. Didn't it? it did. I mean, at the last election in 2022, um, some, you know, there, there was a there was a, a handful of seats that were normally that would normally be liberal seats, and I'm talking about seats like Pierce, Hazlitt, Swan, and Tagney, and which in fact ended up being Labor seats. Mm. And in fact, in, in Curtin, uh, Curtin, which was a um, very much a liberal seat, was won by Peel um, candidate. Um, Kay Cheney, mm. so, and that and that was one of the strongest. That was one of the safest seats in the country as well. Well, it, well, it used to be. It used to be a twenty percent margin. It used to be held by Julie Bishop. Um, mm. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean. It was just done. You know, there was no way in years gone by. Whenever you had a federal election, you always put a tick next to curtain if you're a Liberal Party person. But basically, um, no. The only reason Anthony Albanese holds a majority. Because he managed to win seats in WA, 
which were traditionally liberal. Mm. So if those seats that I just mentioned, you know, Swan, Haslark, Pierce, Tagney, if they were to go back into liberal hands, let's say, then he will struggle to form a majority government. He, he would probably have to do a, a deal with the Teals and others. Mm. to form government. So WA becomes vitally important to the next election, vitally important that he hangs on. Mm. And he's going to have to fight hard for uh, in 2025 if he wants to remain as Prime Minister and in government. Well, been, well I think he's been... He, he's often said that, you know, he, I think he's been to WA 15 times as Prime Minister. Now, a lot of those visits have been very short. You know, um, some of them he's been on his way elsewhere overseas, so he's quickly come into WA and, and you know, maybe conducted a, a metre event. But I think you'll find that Albanese will be a major presence here in WA again next year, as will Peter Dutton, as will mm. Peter Dutton. I think from memory, Albanese's brought Cabinet to WA twice now. Yeah. WA also so that's a sign, isn't it? It's mm. a sign, basically, how important and I think you'll find that Peter Dutton will be a regular visit to WA as well. Uh, just quickly before, I've just got a couple more questions for you. If Do you think that The Voice was always going to fail in WA? Because there was polling at the beginning saying that it was going to be a yes majority across all six states and territories. So did you think it was always going to fail or not? Well, I think if you go back to history, when you don't have bipartisan... Um, when you, when you don't have both sides of Parliament, uh, you know, agreeing to a referendum or the intent of a referendum, they've always failed. Mm. So history will tell you that um, it was always going to be tough to win uh, to win this referendum in any state, let alone WA. And, um, you know, WA has got a very, very strong, you know, mining uh, sector, hasn't it? Yeah. So, if you go back and look at the history of WA, it, you know, um, you know, our, our wealth as a state is so dependent on the mining industry. So, at the end of the day, I'm not sure it was ever going to be easy um, to get people to agree to a voice in WA. But I think I think WA just ended up being like every other state, where people just did not either understand or believe that a, a voice. Um, was going to improve the plight of our Indigenous Australians. Mm. And, I mean, I heard that originally Peter Dutton was in all of the meetings for the questioning of The Voice, and he didn't have one thing to say that was wrong about it until the question then came out. Do you think that was sort of wrong by him to do that, or do you think that he did it decisively and strategically? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, people might say that um, Peggy Duggan's position was a political one. You know, he read the he read the tea leaves and and believed that he could be on the right side of public sentiment. But um, you know, but on the other side of the coin, perhaps he actually legitimately believed that um, the voice wasn't the right way to go. You know, um, but I'm sure. Look, I, he's a politician, Matt. Mm. You know, and he's a politician. You know, retaining power, winning power. It's always in the in the back of your mind, right? Yeah. And, you know, my experience, and I've covered politics for a long time, federally and state, uh, the acquisition of power, the retention of power, is always, always there with politicians and political parties. So uh, was there 
was there some decisions made based on politics? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure there was. Mm. And just quickly before I let you go, Joe, uh, what can we expect from your column this weekend in the Sunday Times? Or is that still thinking about what you're going to put in there? Max, I'm trying to, uh, because I'm predominantly uh, a weekend writer, in other words, I mainly write for the Sunday Times, or, although... Um, I, I, I have I seen you in other in, in the other papers as well. No, I was just going to say, because I work for Seven West Media, you will also find my, my articles and columns sometimes in the West Australian, and certainly uh, online uh, mm. with the West Australian website. Um yeah, I normally, Max, I, I normally sit back and, and read the play a little bit. I normally try to write a column that I think basically gives my viewpoint on either a big issue of the week or I think about what's coming up. I don't, very, very rare do I wake up on a Tuesday morning or a Wednesday and, and, and have already decided on a column. I normally, I normally start, I normally kind of, I, I carry a little notepad with me wherever I go. I, I've weekend. seen that notepad as well. I carry a notepad with me and a pen. And when I have an idea, I'll write it down. Um, I'm one of these, I don't know, I'm one of these people, Max, who never quite shuts off. Um, so if I've got an idea for a column or a news article, I'll write it down. Um, but no, very rare do I actually, um, you know, come to an idea early on. And as you know, Max, because you're nice enough to read me, um, <laughs> occasionally, occasionally I actually enjoy writing about non-politics and... Mm. I've actually found over the years, to my to, really to my joy, that if I write about something to do with my family or an issue an issue that is non-political, but I, I mean, every time I write a column about my mother, people tend to enjoy it. So, uh, you know, I'm from a very traditional Italian family, so there's lots of funny things to tell. So, mm. no, I uh, very rarely do I have a, an idea for a column at the beginning of the week. And I, I will be honest with you, I normally do sometimes help you find the ideas for it as well before you start well, Max, writing. Uh, Max, we don't want to give away our service, Max. We, want to just, we don't want to tell the public, you know, who, who really is the brains behind my columns, right? So let's just, let's just keep that to ourselves, Max. At least you write them better than I would, Joe. Well, Joe, thank you so much for joining me. Um, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. No, it's been a pleasure, and thank you very, very much for, uh, for, for having a chat to me. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you.